Hi, this is Connor Tapp with 24-7 Sports Podcasts. I'm going to shut up in a second and get y'all to interviews with Rusty Manziel, Jake Rowe, and past and present Georgia offensive tackles Matt Stinchcomb and Andrew Thomas. But before we start rolling the tape, I just wanted to set the stage for what to expect in this special episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. All in all, we've got 35 minutes of exclusive audio taped live on Radio Row at SEC Media Days. First, we've got 24-7 Sports College Sports Editor Trey Scott and I chatting with Rusty Manziel and Jake Rowe after UGA's media availability on Tuesday. Then Andrew Thomas stops by our table to let us know what he thinks of all the NFL draft types surrounding him, his perspective on the quarterback battle last year, and what makes Sam Pittman so good at his job. Finally, we talked to two-time All-American and number 18 overall selection in the 1999 NFL Draft, Matt Stinchcomb, about the upcoming season and his involvement in the AFCA Good Works team. So stay tuned. We've got a lot of great audio for you guys, and we're going to kick things off with Trey Scott talking to Rusty Manziel. Rusty, you and I talked a few weeks ago, I think, over text, and you said this Georgia offensive line is the best in program history. Is this a Sam Pittman thing, an Andrew Thomas thing? When did we see this start to all come together? Uh, I think you give uh, Sam Pittman a full year to be on campus. You know, he signed some guys at first class. When you come back in, you give him a full calendar year to recruit. And he goes in and gets, you know, he got Ben Cleveland that first class. But he was already committed, so he kept him there. Uh, but you look at the, the next class, and he comes in with Andrew Thomas, Isaiah Wilson, those, those guys. Andrew Thomas was a guy, uh, I'll never forget calling Barton after seeing him play that, that year. And I was like, Barton, man, he's, he's out of shape. I'm a little bit worried. Barton, to his defense, was like, we're not going to do anything with him. Let's take a look at him in an army, and we'll know where to go with him. Well, Pace Academy was defending state champs. They get beat early November. They got upset. So he has from November until, like, January the 3rd, he's not doing anything. We thought this guy went to work. I mean, he, come, he comes to there. He comes to army. He is ready to roll. We, we, we move him up 50, 60 spots. Sam Pittman takes him from January. They get He don't even get to Georgia until July. He comes in in July, starts at right tackle opposite of Isaiah Wynn. I think when you look at Georgia and how it started, it started with him being able to sell recruits. I took Andrew Thomas that didn't get here until late June. In August, Labor Day weekend, he was starting. So I think he was able to, to, to use that momentum. And I think Andrew Thomas not only is a top 10, probably NFL draft pick, probably top 20 regardless next year, but more than likely we'll leave early. I think Sam Pittman used that momentum and that proof, I will play you if you come here no matter what, Ready? I think that is what started all this is going. I do think it's the best on paper offensive line ever for Georgia. We'll get back to the offensive line in a second. I can't not ask you about Jake Fromm, who's going to be behind that offensive line. Yep. I think Georgia's quarterback situation over the last year is one of the more interesting things in college football. Yep. You look at it a year ago, and you're like, Justin Fields is coming in. Jake yep. Fromm, he's going to he's yep. going to take over Jake Fromm. And now, obviously, Fields is gone. Fromm's a junior. And there's one other scholarship quarterback on the roster, and it's Dwan Mathis who's yep. on the mend. So that offensive line is going to have to protect Jake yep. Fromm. Yeah. What is Georgia's quarterback room situation right now what's the level of panic what is yeah. how did this happen where you just have Dwan Mathis and Jake Fromm I certainly hope that I don't jinx anyone but you look at the situation at Georgia look at the situation in Alabama look at the situation at Clemson you look at the situation at Ohio State all those teams are one in, one injury away from changing their season big time and that's because you got experienced guys Justin Fields without experience is still their guy regardless Trevor's Trevor uh, they do have Chase Bryce but look they got to have Trevor to win this thing. Uh, Alabama with Tua, they got some young guys in behind him. 
the surgery to Juwan Mathis didn't make major news. They also have Stetson Bennett, who's a junior college guy there, uh, that's played a little bit for them. But, you know, I think you're right about that. Uh, it's, it's so unique. We're all learning about this. But I think it's the new day and age. These guys are like Brock Vandergriff from George, just committed to Oklahoma. You know why he committed to Oklahoma? Because they, they told him we won't offer another guy. Now, if you'll take it now, it's yours. So they're not taking a 2020 guy. They didn't even offer a 2021 guy. So he's set, you know, it, right now it's set for him. So we're all learning about this one guy. But you're right with George's quarterback room. I mean, uh, to win the national championship, they've got to have Jake Fromm. They, they got to have a third-year guy, uh, a new offensive coordinator, James Coley, can call any play in the book with Jake Fromm. He can't do that with other guys. And that's no, no, nothing against those guys. But Jake Fromm is a third-year starter in the SEC. He's been through all the big games. Georgia needs him to stay healthy to win the national championship. When it became clear they were going to lose fields. Yeah. And you, you probably saw that coming earlier than anyone. Yeah. Was there a contingency plan that didn't quite work out as far as getting in new guys into the room? Like, did they think, did they want, when they saw Fields that he was going to leave, were they trying to get someone else to come in and be a Oh, back- yeah, they did. So, so it wound up being a secret, wound up being a, a secret visit. So Justin Fields, basically, they had the feeling uh, right about the SEC championship, he was gone. That's when it kind of leaked, he was leaving and all that kind of deal. So the last Sunday before the, early, the dead period in December, so there's the dead period, then there's signing day on Wednesday, they bring in Zach Calzada who was committed to Texas A&M, who's 40 minutes up the road. They bring Zach Calzada in. He comes in on a visit, quiet. Nobody knows anything about it. He's there all day. He's there till 11 o'clock that night. Georgia gave him every bit of that pitch. You can come here. This is what's going on. And I talked to Zach after he signed with Texas A&M. He said it was the most stressful 24-hour. He'd been committed to Texas A&M for, you know, six months, and all of a sudden he's got an opportunity to go to Georgia, you know, 40 minutes from home. And he's stuck with Texas A&M. Kudos to Jimbo. But so that goes down on Monday. He tells Georgia he's not. Monday night. Monday night was the first contact between Dewan Mathis and Georgia. He signs with Georgia on Wednesday morning. So think about he's not even on campus. He's only been on campus one time ever on an unofficial visit a year earlier. A couple of hours he spent. Think about the decision process for Dewan Mathis. I got to make a decision in 24 hours because Justin Fields is coming to this school in my class. So all that was new and covering that. But the contingency plan, I don't know if it was contingency, but they turned their sights quickly on Zach Calzada at Lanier High School, who I heard was, has been fantastic at Texas A&M for a, for a person out there. He has been great. Uh, he may not get to show it this year, but he has been really, really good there. We'll get back to the 2019 expectations after this one more question about the quarterback room. Jake Fromm. We all kind of maybe nationally thought he'd be a four-year quarterback yeah. at Georgia. Yeah. Now he's become an NFL draft darling. They have to prepare for the likelihood that he's gone after this season. Yeah. How are they preparing for that, and are they surprised that they have to? Well, they, they, they brought in Carson Beck. He's committed right now. So uh, they got Juwan Mathis. Stetson Bennett will have another year left. So they're going to right now, <clears throat> right now the plan is going to keep Carson Beck. They're not going to sign any other quarterback. They've got their sights set on – Caleb Williams is the number two dual threat on 24-7 sports out of Washington, D.C., uh, out of Gonzaga High School. So they'll quickly get some – if they were to get Caleb Williams, who's a five-star prospect, if they were to get him, they would have – just say Jake Lee. They would have Stetson Bennett, Carson Beck, and Dewan Mathis. They'll have three guys. And then a calendar year later, they'll have four guys, four bodies in that room. So they can quickly turn it. Uh, I just think that 
I just think that Jake, uh, and I talked to someone very, very close to Jake last week. Jake was invited by the NFL to go to the draft. He was one of those 10 guys. He got to go through the, the rookie symposium stuff. He got to do all that and the meeting, what to expect with agents. As a junior, you have that opportunity to start meeting with agents. And I did confirm last week that Jake Fromm has not met with one single one. He has not done any of that kind of stuff. Naturally, when the NFL invites you to the combine, you go, you listen to everything, you educate yourself, you get ready for that, that type of decision down the line. But I can tell you right now that Jake Fromm has not done anything to tip his hand that he's going to the NFL. Now, he's going to face that question. He's going to face that question uh, a lot. Uh, he will not graduate. He'll have, if, if he were to leave in January, he would not have his degree. He would have to finish next May, so if he stayed. So I know him. I know his family. That's important to him. He's this close to a degree. So a lot of things are going to go in play. I don't think it's as far as long as I personally thought, say, March or April. A lot of these things you're going to read and say, hey, he's going to be the number three pick. He's going to be number one pick. This junior year is very important two things, his draft status and his legacy at Georgia because this team is the most talented team he's playing on at Georgia by far, I think. Rusty, the way Georgia recruits, it makes a lot of sense for them to, for the most part, be a program that you know people get stacked up behind the depth chart yep. so players are going to transfer out, yep. take advantage of the portal like Justin Fields. But what is your sense early on of how willing Kirby might be to use the transfer portal to as a stopgap measure if Jake Fromm leaves early and you've got this uh, dearth of quarterbacks available? I think I heard upstairs today there's five transfer quarterbacks in the SEC could potentially start. Mm -hmm. uh, hell yes, they're going to use that if it comes down to it. You know, uh, you look at what oh, he's done. He went and got Lawrence Cager. He needed some wide receiver depth. They went Just think if they wouldn't have got Lawrence Cager from Miami, where they'd be right now without Jeremiah Holloman and those guys and the three guys that left early. Uh, and, and I don't know how much he, he is going to play. I don't know where he is. He'll, he'll learn in August. He didn't get here until May. But, you know, I think Kirby has shown that he's going to use a transfer portal when he needs to. And I heard him say the quote upstairs, the quarterback is the most important position uh, on the field, and you can't win without him. So I think definitely that Georgia would use a transfer. If Jake Fromm leaves early and there's a graduate quarterback transfer out there, hell yes, I could see Georgia bring one in if they find the fit they want. I think it's fun. We could have an Alabama versus Georgia recruiting battle for the best grad transfer on the market hey, in this offseason. Yeah, I yeah. love those uh, Kirby versus It's funny. A couple of schools were kind of outspoken. You know, Nick Saban was kind of outspoken about that transfer. Once that rule was in place, Nick was like, let's roll. You know, he goes gets Landon Dickerson, five, former five-star from Florida State. I mean, they really needed a lineman. He went and got the best one available. Last year, Demetrius Robertson had some big expectations, yep. has the big run in the opener, doesn't doesn't really do anything else. What was happening, and, and should Georgia fans expect more from him this fall? Absolutely. And the more I found out about that, when he left Cal, he left Cal. Like, he left California, and he came here. Uh, he didn't do anything, basically, from January until May. I mean, he might have ran some routes and did some social media posts on the beach and all that. He wasn't in football shape. And when he got to Georgia – Obviously, that speed is there. You see that reverse in the first game. He was to the house. What you don't see is he's not able to block on the corner. He wasn't physical enough. He wasn't ready to play at Georgia. I think from everything I've heard, the offseason, the conditioning, the weight gain, he is SEC ready now. Uh, the speed is still there. There's so many minutes uh, available at Georgia. I think Georgia lost her top five receivers, including Isaac Nauta. Now with Jeremiah Holloman gone. So there's so many minutes there. And you look at a guy that's a 10-400-meter guy, state long jump champion. He checks all those boxes at Barton and Charles Power and all those guys. Like, we love Demetrius at the, at the Army game. But 
Uh, it's time for him to produce. I know for a fact the NFL is a huge deal for him, a huge goal, and that's fine. Uh, Demetrius Robertson should be extremely focused, and he couldn't find a better opportunity because, look, everybody's going to play the run against Georgia. Until those guys prove they can beat you one-on-one on the outside, they're going to make DeAndre Swift and those guys earn every yard they can get and say, you're going to have to beat us outside. By the time November rolls around, who's, who's DeAndre Swift's number two? Is it Zamir White? Uh, you know, Area. everybody talks about that. I'm very cautious about it. I will say this, and I did say this on the board the other day. It was freaky seeing some of the stuff I've seen out of him without knee braces on. And genetically, he's one of those big guys that is 210-pound, 10, 400-meter guy, changed the direction, wasn't stiff. I said this, and the Georgia fans always remind me, it was the best high school tape I've ever seen on a running back. I've never seen the change. No, I went and saw Keith Marshall, and I learned from Keith Marshall because he was straight, straight line speed. You didn't see a lot of that making you miss in short space. You look at Zamir White, run, outrun you, run around you, make you miss in the phone booth. I mean, this guy had it all, and unfortunately he's had these two ACLs. So when I think back and I answer questions on Zamir White, I think he, he has the type of genetics and body to come back from this. I also caution people, he hasn't taken a live handoff since October of 2017. Two, that's a long two years. So when you start talking about I took one against such and such high school in North Carolina as opposed to I'm about to take a handoff against Notre Dame in primetime 8 o'clock game. I caution that. I think James Cook is the guy people need to think about. He was a four-star, all-American running back. I mean, he's got some bloodlines himself, so he had a good freshman year. He's gained some weight. I think James Cook and DeAndre Swift are going to be those guys until we see what Zamir White actually can do. Jump to the defensive side of the ball, then get you out of here. Tyson Campbell took his lumps last fall. Mm-hmm. What are the expectations for him this year? You know, you, you throw Tyson Campbell into the mix. And, again, he checks all those boxes. He was that guy. But, look, you're in the SEC. Uh, here was a problem Tyson. The biggest problem Tyson Campbell had, he played opposite DeAndre Baker. You weren't going to throw at DeAndre Baker? Nobody did. I mean, so who are you going to throw at? Let's look at number three over there whose eyes are this big around, or let's look at DeAndre Baker who's begging you to throw. So I think DeAndre Baker, and I'm not saying hurt him, it just, it just created more opportunities for people to attack a true freshman. He had to learn on the go. He struggled a little bit. I think the best thing that happened to Tyson Campbell, he lost his job to Eric Stokes. And what that meant was Eric Stokes got those games. He got that confidence. Now Eric Stokes is a great player. Tyson Campbell got a chance to step back. They put him back in the game. Someone, DeAndre Becker, got hurt. A lot better at the end of the year. I don't know many teams. Uh, maybe Alabama to look, but I don't know of anybody in the country that has two six-one guys that are 10, 300 meters. Eric Stokes, state champion, 100-meter. Tyson Campbell, he wasn't a state champion. He was probably the second or third fast player in the country, but Anthony Schwartz just happened to be at his school, so that hurts you when you got a 10-100 guy. So Georgia's going to line up, probably starting corners, at two guys six-foot-one plus that are 10, 3, 10, 400-meter guys. Give me the name of a young guy from maybe that number one recruiting class two years ago who is going to start to rise up on that defense and maybe become a household name. It's funny. I got to spend some time uh, Saturday with Andrew Thomas at the FBU Top Gun camp, and I told Andrew, I said, who's the best player you want to get so far? He said, Jeffrey Hollinsworth at Auburn. And I said, for real? He goes, yeah, he was strong. He had great hands. He goes, I was a freshman walking in against that guy. I said, well, give me somebody Georgia plans need to know. He said, Aziz Ojolari. And Aziz was an Army All-American, but he came off a late ACL. So if you remember, and I, hell, I know you remember this. You take the Texas game, and nobody knew who 38 was. So you bring Aziz in, and the first two plays, he's like almost makes a sack. He has a tackle for a loss. 
And 10 plays later, he's over throwing up on the sideline because he just wasn't in football shape. But you saw that explosiveness. And when DeAndre Walker was out with an injury and he was done, they went ahead and made the decision, we're going to play him in this, we're going to play him in this Texas game. Even Nobody was expecting that. He comes out and starts. Uh, so I think Azizo Jalari, who's a guy, and Andrew told me uh, he's long, he's strong, fast. He's six foot four and a half, 240, 245 pounds. Another one of those talented outside linebackers. So you go back two years ago to that class, Azizo Jalari coming off an ACL, I think, is a player. Uh, you know, Adam Anderson kind of got most of the pub, and he's still that guy, but Adam Anderson's still floating at 220, 225 pounds. We all want to know if he could gain that weight. You look at Azizo Jalari, 240-pound, 245-pound guy. I think he's going to play a lot for Georgia. Good stuff, Rusty. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. We are joined now here on Radio Row by Jake Rowe. Um, so, Jake, we were just upstairs, uh, saw Kirby Smart and the Georgia players speak. Anything jump out? to you as being especially interesting from Kirby's remarks or anything you've seen from the players? You know, I think the first thing that kind of stood out to me was the whole do more thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that's not something we've really heard, uh, you know, from covering the team. You didn't hear him talk about it this spring. I guess it was more of like a summer mantra. And and I thought it was interesting how they tied the do more into the failure to get over the hump against Alabama the past couple years. Uh, You know, I think that that's kind of – there's so much, you know, made of the whole idea that you treat every game the same. But you can tell that when the players, when Kirby tied that into the Alabama game and getting over the hump, that clearly that's not just another game anymore, that that's kind of a a big hurdle that they know they're going to have to clear. And while it may not be their focus going into preseason camp, I do think that it's one of those uh, things that's maybe in the back of their mind and, and not something, at least internally, that they're sitting there trying to fool themselves and think this is not a deal. I mean, obviously you've got to get to the SEC championship to even have a chance against Alabama this year, not next year, because they play them in Tuscaloosa. But uh, it, I think it does kind of come down to Georgia knows it's, it, there's there's a beast in the West that they've got to deal with, and, and they're going to have to be a better football team this year when they get to that point than they were this time last year. So Kirby was asked directly, what do, what do you think you need to do to get over the hump in the, in the main uh, media room? Uh, and he kind of pointed out, well, hey, we got Vandy first, so we're taking it one game at a time. But – what what do you think Georgia needs to do to get over the hump against Alabama? Or do they just need better luck? Because, I mean, that game was very close. That would help. I yeah. mean, a little bit better <laughs> luck would help. Uh, you know, I, I really think it's just – and I hate – it sounds like a cop-out. It's like they've just got to kind of put their fingers on all the levels and push them up. I mean, uh-huh. it's like they need better quarterback play in the second half and the fourth quarter. They need – 
better offensive line play in the second half, fourth quarter. They got to catch the balls that they're. They've got an opportunity to catch. Uh, they've got to do a better job of rushing the passer, stopping the run. I mean, special teams. They got to coach better. They got to not call fake punts on fourth and eleven. You know, all of that stuff kind of comes into, you know, or, or if they do have it, they've got to have something that they know is there and they can deal with it. But ultimately, I just think it's everything, I, and it's it, that shows you how small the margin of error is, but also how small the gap is between being a championship team and being a team that you know is tweeting and during the national during the college football playoff that you should be in the national championship game is is just minor adjustments because you know you talk about a team i'm sitting here saying that georgia needs to get better in every facet to do that but they lost by seven points they lost in overtime so it's not like they're leaps and bounds away they've just you know they they need a little bit more in every area it feels like we're kind of transitioning from a period where Kirby was just stocking the program with talent in his early days uh, back with the team. And now we're looking at a point where, man, Georgia's going to lose a bunch to the NFL draft, potentially, if, if Jake Fromm is a right. player that goes. I mean, you're looking at a situation where you've, I feel like for the first time we've got big questions heading into 2020 about um, you know, what Georgia brings back. Do you do you see 2019 as like a window that's very briefly open or or what? It can be. I mean, it, it really. I mean, it does all depend on if you kind of have mass defections to the NFL draft because right. You know, I do think there are enough players that could leave where Georgia can't say next. I mean, they can say next man up, but they can't really mean it or execute it. Um, you know, you lose Jake Fromm. I think that's one thing. You lose Jake Fromm, DeAndre Swift, both offensive tackles, uh, a couple guys off defense, that's another thing. And so, you know, I definitely think guys like Andrew Thomas and DeAndre Swift are probably gone at the end of this year. Um, I think Georgia can absorb that on the offensive line at running back. I think they need Fromm to come back next year. But at the same time, you see how they're recruiting quarterbacks now. I don't think it's a window by itself and if it if it is maybe it's a little bit of a rebuild next year and then it's kind of back to back to what you want to be but ultimately you know I do think 2019 you know when we look back at the end of the season you're going to think that this was a year where Georgia really needed to get it done because it well, I do believe it'll be more difficult in 2020. Do you, is, is Florida the big challenger in the east or do you see like maybe Jeremy Pruitt building something at Tennessee or who, who do you see as the biggest long-term threat to Georgia? I'm not on that Florida train yeah. because Florida lost both offensive tackles. They lost some of their best defensive talent. Um, you know, I think we know enough about Todd Grantham at this point to know that stocking the cupboard and defensively is not one of his strong suits. He couldn't do it at Georgia. He couldn't do it at, at Louisville. Um, I, the thing I do like about Florida is is the fact that this year two of Dan Mullen's system, there always seems to be a little bit of magic there. But the same applies to Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. And, you know, I do think Tennessee's going to be a little bit better than folks think. I think that team's gotten a lot tougher. I, I think that, that they're going to have a lot more talent in the trenches than Florida's going to have. Uh, maybe not quite as much skill, but I do like those top three wide receivers. I think Tennessee has the best chance to, to kind of sneak up and beat Georgia, that game being in Knoxville. The 41 nothing, you know, mantra that they're going to talk about during that week because Georgia just went in there and wasted them the last time mm-hmm. they were in Neyland Stadium. 
Um, Florida will probably end up with a better record because I think top to bottom they probably are a little bit better football team. But I just don't see this Florida team being able to match up that well with Georgia because of the losses on the offensive line and, and defensively. If we're in January and Georgia's just won the SEC championship, what do you think we're looking back on as some of the biggest pleasant surprises for Georgia in, during the 2019 season? You said if, if we're looking back if, in if January. If we're looking back, Georgia's just won the SEC championship. Like, what do you think has happened personnel-wise to, like, allow that to – Somebody has stepped up at receiver. I mean, that, that's got to happen. That is – you know, to me, that's the only real question mark Georgia has is, you know, finding somebody to replace the three – you know, the four guys that were taken in the NFL draft and Jeremiah Holloman. And that, that's going to be huge. I think, uh, you know, you're probably looking at a freshman, either George Pickens or Dominic Blaylock stepping up, Demetrius Robertson, Lawrence Cager. If we're looking back at it, I think that's that's the number one thing you will have assumed is somebody at receiver stepped up. You know, you're in a coma, you wake up in January, Georgia's won yeah. the SEC championship and headed to the college football playoff. Yeah. The first thing I'm saying is who stepped up at receiver. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Jake. All right. You've obviously been working at this for a long time. How does it feel going into your junior season and you're being talked about probably as the best left tackle in college football? Um, it's exciting. Uh, we got a lot of uh, guys coming back. We got a lot of young guys coming in. I'm, a very, I'm very excited for the season. I know you're going to tell me that you don't look at it, mm-hmm. but I want you to give me the honest answer. Yeah. How often do you look at the draft boards and the mock drafts and all that stuff? I, I'm not, I, I wouldn't lie and say I, I don't look at it. I, I, I see it, but I feel like the way, to, I guess, to make that come true is to attack it the same way as, as a freshman coming in, you know, trying to earn a spot. Because I feel like if I, you know, pay too much attention and let that get in my head, you can get complacent and think, you know, well, I already got the spot guaranteed. But if you continue to work, then that stuff can come true. Yeah, I was going to ask, I guess that that stuff, depending on your mindset, can either be a distraction yeah. or motivation right. because you see how close you are. How hard, though, is it to say, okay, I'm going back into how I was as a freshman as far as that mentality is. It's, it's not easy because you say, you know, I've had this much success over these couple of years, but you have to remember what got you there. So that's what I'm focused on. Where do you think you can still grow? What can you improve on? The biggest thing for me uh, this offseason has been working on my hand placement and pass pro. Just, my hands get outside my frame sometimes, so I'm just you know, working on, you know, my punch. Your punch. This time a year ago, what was the locker room like? You had Jake Fromm as the established starter, but certainly Justin Fields was yeah. was giving him a push. And Georgia and Kirby Smart kept saying Jake's our guy. National media probably kept saying Justin Fields is going to win that job eventually. Yeah. What was what was that like inside the locker room? Um, it, was, it was pretty cool. It was just seeing a competition of two really talented quarterbacks. Um, it, was, it was kind of fun to watch. You know, to, to see them go, you know, at each other. You know, switch between the ones and the twos, and it just. It was pretty cool to see them compete. Do you think that made Jake from a much better quarterback? I definitely think uh, competition makes you better. I, I think it helped him. Last question. Why is Sam Pittman so good at his job? Uh, well, one, his relationship with the players. He understands, you know, how to get what he wants out of the players. He understands different personalities. And then just his knowledge of, of his technique. It's a little unorthodox from, like, the traditional because he, he didn't even play offensive line, but it, it worked. So He know. didn't play offensive line? He didn't, no. Did that – when you first met him, then were you like, eh, I, I'm not listening to him? Not really, because I looked at, like, you know, what what his resume said, all the guys he has in the NFL and the success that he's had. So, yeah. Cool. Thanks, Andrew. Okay, we're joined by ESPN analyst and college football Hall of Famer Matt Stinchcomb. Matt, you were teammates in college with Kirby Smart. What was he like way back then? Uh, you know, he was, um, he was almost exactly the same. 
you, know, you look at them on game days, and you think that as we age, so we're in our 40s now. I think Kirby's, he's only one year ahead of me uh, at Georgia, but he's way older. Uh, I think he's like three years older than me or something like that. And he looks at um, starting to show some of that age a little bit. There's a reason why he wears that visor, I think. Maybe it's a hairline issue. I'm not sure. Uh, his behavior is the same, man. I mean, the guy got, was wound up on game days, and he's wound up now. He looks like he chokes himself to sleep at night. I mean, he's kind of uh, high energy, to say the least. And you think about the coaches in this conference or coaches in college football in general, I don't know that you'll find a more engaged head coach than Kirby Smart. And I, I mean that not just mentally, because they're all plugged in, uh, at least to some extent. But he looks like he's desperate to per- actually participate on the field of play. they got to drag him off the field. Is there anything he does now that might surprise you? Any, any disposition a, or from a coaching standpoint? No, no, no. I, I, you know, just watching on game days, he uh, – he is <laughs> it's it's boring i think how similar he is i think as a head coach relative to how he was as a player smart player i think it's overlooked he wasn't just a smart player the guy was a great athlete he was an all-conference safety in the sec um he was a player i mean this kid uh, could make it happen played early played as a freshman and uh throughout his career and they won charity minutes i mean he belonged out there um and you watch him now and it's evident that he belongs on the sideline in this conference as a head coach. And the way, uh, the way he comports himself on the sideline, I think, is exactly how you would have anticipated him to do so. Now, at our age, maybe not, but it just shows, you know, maybe the guy's ageless. You know, he's um, a high-energy, highly-engaged head coach, and I think probably singularly so. There's not a lot of other guys that you could point to to say that that would also be true. What are your expectations for Georgia this fall? They should win the division and compete for a conference championship. Any Anything that, when you look at their roster right now, maybe receiver, anything you're worried about? Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't have to worry about any of it because we just observe, right? But the, uh, you know, were I in those, those coaching offices um, and was more than just an objective observer, uh, I would say wide receiver is a position of concern. You look at the experience, the dearth of experience, I guess, not from a talent standpoint. They should have guys that should be able to step up, right? So who's that guy going to be? Um, you know, will tight end be more prominent? <laughs> that becomes a talking point in and around Georgia football. You know, if it needs to be, that'd be great. And if it doesn't, then why does it matter? Um, you know, the departure of, a, of an Isaac Nauta, the addition of an Eli Wolf. Uh, the potential emergence of a Charlie Werner that has kind of been teased out over the years. Um, what does that look like? Can he stay healthy? Can he be a game changer? How prominent will that offensive line have to be early on in the season until a young receiving core asserts itself? Does a Dominic Blaylock uh, really emerge, one of the more prominent recruits, talented player? You know, does a Demetrius Robertson, a guy who was an added last year from a roster standpoint, unbelievable speed, better size in the slot than Miko Hardman, but just couldn't quite find a role in the offense a season ago. You know, maybe it's a James Cook out of the backfield. All those things might have to be uh, piecemeal together to augment what otherwise could be a challenging passing game early on in the season. Uh, this morning you announced 137 nominees for the two, uh, 2019 All-State AFCA Good Works team. Uh, 12 of them hail from the SEC. 
One of those is Jake Fromm. Before we get to him, could you tell us a little bit about the Good Works team and your role with that group? Yeah, you know, I get to be on the selection committee. Um, and to me, you know, there's folks that get the Heisman vote. They get to vote on, you know, some of these others, the, the Bidnarik, the Blitnikoff, the Nagurski. Those are great. Those are all on-field recognitions. Um, those are eventually there is a temporal aspect to those types of contributions. You're a great football player. You get four years of eligibility. Maybe you get five. But there's a whole lot of uh, contribution that can be made outside of four quarters, potentially 12 games. And these guys get that. These guys recognize that there's more to who they are than just playing football. And at the same time, that can be a centerpiece. That can be a fulcrum for some really positive impact. And so, you know, the Jake Fromms of this world, the Trey Smiths uh, from, from Tennessee, the Landon Youngs, the Derek Browns. I mean, guys that will potentially be and likely be top 10 picks in the NFL draft. These guys are finding ways to squeeze a few minutes, hours uh, out of their time where they're not in class, rehabbing uh, in the training room, lifting weights, watching film on the practice field to somehow uh, build houses for Habitat for Humanity, to go on mission trips, to start their own charitable initiatives, uh, to support and build relationships with kids with special needs. Uh, that stuff's going to matter a whole lot longer, and people remember that a lot longer than anything that they do on the football field. Now, if Jake Fromm wins a national championship for Georgia, then maybe they won't need a sports almanac to know what his passing numbers were in 2019. Otherwise, he's another really, really good quarterback in the conference's history. Uh, what will really matter is the kids with disabilities that he's uh, impacted by hosting fundraising events and spending time with them uh, amongst all his many other responsibilities as a college football player. Yeah, the, uh, the final roster of award winners will be announced in September. Back to Fromm, where do you stand? Almost overnight, he became an NFL draft kind of darling. I always thought Jake Fromm would be a four-year college quarterback, and some people are saying top ten pick. What do you think? I don't know. I think it's awful early, right? Uh, and I think it's also a function of uh, the other position groups and how prominent that, those might be. You look at the draft, and it's gotten away from it somewhat. It's a function of the talent that's available. But you'll see these runs on players. And so the question would be, you know, is there top-end talent at offensive tackle? There's five or six of them, and then there's a significant drop-off. You're probably going to see five or six guys go in the top two rounds, maybe early in the first half of the draft, because the teams know that if I don't get them now, there's really not much left afterwards. Well, the same could be true for other position groups. So is he a top 10 type of a talent uh, in a vacuum? Maybe, especially if we're just talking about quarterbacks. I think he definitely is. Um, but the problem is, is that you also got to consider all the other position groups on the field outside of maybe specialists, right? We haven't seen a top 10 kicker taken yet, to my knowledge. But otherwise, there's a chance that entire position groups get pushed down due to either depth or lack thereof. Uh, at that spot. Might be a lot of good quarterbacks. Might not be many, but there might be even more uh, at another position that the teams are coveting. Last one, you talked about runs on position groups. Offensive tackle could be a, a talented group in 2020 for the draft. You're a first-round pick at left tackle. What exactly makes Andrew Thomas so special? He could be another top-ten pick. Uh, I think the way that he plays the game, and from day one, it's never seemed like he didn't belong. It didn't seem like the game was moving too fast for him. It was as if um, it had already slowed down. And you'll see this a lot of times in NASCAR drivers, all these other types of talents where they say, I can actually see the field. 
And it always seemed like Andrew Thomas could see the field. It wasn't like you're playing and looking through like a coffee stirrer, which is what it's like for a lot of guys. It, could, it was like that for me um, for years. And Andrew Thomas had never looked like that. It looked like things were moving in slow motion for him. Not that he moves in slow motion, but it never looked like he was trying to play catch up all the time. Um, and he just kind of came out of the box that way. Quiet feet, calm hands, good in the run game, great size. You know, he's you know, an agile player. He should be, to me, it's not much of a conversation. He's the number one offensive lineman, I think, coming out of college football going into next season. Cool. Thanks, Matt. All right, guys. Thanks, man.